You ready for this? Are we, are, you have no idea what you're in for. We're going to talk about this book. We're going to talk about the creator of your soul. We're, uh, it can't get any better than this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, what a glorious, glorious time it is to come together. A beautiful day, beautiful place we live. And yet, Lord, we also have that deep, keen awareness that there is spiritual death around us in this valley, and there's people who need to come be reconnected, or connected for the first time, I should say, with their creator. Lord, your passion and the purpose for which you created us is to have a relationship with you. And how will we have a relationship where we don't understand who you are or what you have to say about us and to us? So, Lord, we need help in that this morning as you guide us through this continuing series on the Exodus template. Father, thank you for the privilege to be up here this morning, and may, would you speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we, uh, I don't know if you knew it, but we actually crossed over the Jordan last week. I mean, I know that was, it. people are like, did we kind of cross? I think, I think we crossed. We're actually crossing uh, it. It brings to my mind, and by the way, before I go on, I just want to say with Randy and Chris, you have no idea of the thousands of hours these two men and others, but especially those two guys have put into that picture of that property, not that property, but the property, uh, not, not the Jordan, but, but the property uh, out there on 49th and Jefferson. We are, will be forever, and I believe eternally indebted to those Two men and others as well, but especially those two guys for uh, their due diligence on our behalf. Can you just thank them real quick for me again? Thank you, guys. So anyway, uh, this morning, actually this morning, I, I was coming, or maybe last night, I came across, this is our uh, version 2.1 mission statement, core values, three-year strategic objectives for Church at the Red Door. I can't even barely say that, but we got really smart people. We come together. We have... Uh, all the, you know, core values and strate strategic objectives and all that. But at the beginning was the mission statement, and some of you new to the church may not know exactly what the mission statement of Church at the Red Door is. Let me tell you, it's only a couple of little lines here. The Church at the Red Door exists to advance the kingdom of God. Now, he said, well, yeah, all right. Don't all churches exist to advance the kingdom of God? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done right here on earth, just like it's being done in heaven. Well, what's being done in heaven? Well, God's perfectly reflecting, it's perfectly reflected his rule and reign. There's no, there's no animosity, there's no lawsuits, there's nothing going on like that in heaven. Nobody's angry, there are no more tears already in heaven. It's perfectly living under the solidarity of a singular ruler, his name is Jehovah, and uh, Yahweh, it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it's the Godhead. It's unbelievable. I, I can't wait to be in his presence. And yet we're called to bring it to earth. So, of course, we are. How do we do that? By this, by equipping, motivating, and sending people into the world to proclaim the good news to others. Now, the equipping part is a big part of what we do here on Sunday. Some people don't feel that. There are different kind of models on Sunday. Some may, may be more of a seeker-friendly model, always kind of the salvation message uh, mixed with uh, some other things, but primarily the salvation message. 
and how you can enter the kingdom. And that's great and wonderful and good. And certainly we always want to proclaim how you can easily just believe into Jesus and come right on into his kingdom based on what he did and not based on anything you've done other than your faith. I mean, that's for sure. But we also don't have 15, 20-minute homilies, as you know. We go 45 minutes, and some say, yeah, right, 45, 50 minutes, you know, on teaching. We want to go. Why? Because you have to be equipped. There's no way. Some people say, this series is so long. There is no way to equip you. There's no way to equip you without going line by line, verse by verse, if you want to be equipped to walk out and be fruitful in a very significant way. It just takes time. I feel like I'm always rushing just to get through a verse. And we're trying to cover a, a large amount of ground so that you can be equipped for what? For the work of service. And it says we cultivate a welcoming, engaging, and non-threatening environment for believers and non-believers alike. Now, there's a tendency. That, yeah, we want, we, you're completely welcome here. You say, I don't even know if God exists. I, I feel angry at God if there is one. We want you to feel a community that loves you and cares about you and really wants to walk this journey, answer some of these questions, guide you to the source of all life. I mean, that's what we're here for, for sure. But we will do the equipping. So sometimes you may come here and go, I really felt loved by the people. It was really kind of engaging and exciting, but I have no idea what that guy said. Sometimes that's going to happen. Now, if I do my job, I'm going to give something for everybody. We talk about it all the time. It's the greatest challenge to be up here. And no, you have somebody, well, I brought a friend and they've never been to church before. And boy, we're, you know, week 11 in the Exodus temple. And they're like, well, what's Exodus, you know? And it's hard. It's hard to do that. But we remain firmly committed to be an equipping church. You may not get it all, but if you keep coming, you're going to start to figure it out. It's just going to happen. And then finally... We value teaching and training within a loving community so that people may fall in love with Jesus, be transformed into his image, and then do what? Respond to his call on their lives. Now, what we've been doing, and we concluded it today with Pastor Seifert. Many of you, several of you have been attending that kind of between-service gift class, and that was glorious. And, you know, what? why am I on the planet? I mean, is there anything for me to accomplish that God wants me to accomplish? And those questions, we are here to help you figure out. That may or may not pertain directly to Church of the Red Door at all. Now, this is, sounds really crazy, but what happens if someone really gets equipped and then they leave because of their equipping would call them to leave? I hate it, but hey, we'll all be in heaven one day and we can talk about it. Sometimes God's call may be in your equipping to go somewhere else. I'm not talking about another church. I'm talking about a whole other part of the country or something, who, who knows, or uh, uh, on a mission or something. I have no idea what's in front of us, but we have all of eternity to be together. Let's grow the kingdom and our task. I, we are not accomplishing our task. I will tell you right now, I will fail in my task as one of the pastors of this church if we do not equip you adequately for the work of service. Are you with me? That's what we have come here to do. So on we go. We are across the Jordan. We are across the Jordan. It struck me uh, this week, and, um, you know, I, I go to a lot of these commentaries, and, and some, they kind of touch around this Exodus, Exodus template, but not the great detail. I did find Alan Redpath. I've been teaching this for years, and just this last year, I was reading some article. It talked about Alan Redpath. He's long since passed away. Uh, uh, he was an evangelist, and he... He hits on this template and this crossing of the Jordan. Allow me, if you will, to indulge 
me if I can read just a little excerpt from uh, his book here. It says, There is this distinction that God is always seeking to lead his children, that's you and me, onto new and unexplored areas of life in the redemption of Jesus. Okay, now I want you to think about new, unexplored areas of life. In order to do that, he is always seeking to remove us from the exceptional and the extraordinary as represented by the manna to the normal constant flow of supplies of his grace and power in his resurrection. Now, what does that mean? He, he, what he's saying, what Alan is saying, he says, uh, and I remember this very distinctively uh, early in my walk with Jesus. I'm going to tell you, when I first got saved, miracles seemed to happen daily on par with manna from heaven. Now, remember, not physical manna, although that happened as well. I remember uh, I could go into a myriad of stories. One that I remember in particular is that uh, I, when I was at Rice University down in Houston, and I had met this girl, and she didn't go to Rice, and, and, she, and, and I had really had this experience with Jesus, and I wanted to share with everybody. I was going to tell everybody with Jesus. And man, if you'd be willing to sit with me for three minutes, you're going to hear something about Jesus. And I didn't know very much about Jesus, but I knew that the Bible knew some things about Jesus. And so we, we, were, we were having some dinner one night at on the only place I could afford. I think it was Wendy's or somewhere. And, uh, and she said, well, I just I don't know if I can believe this. And she started asking me questions. And, and I remember I couldn't negotiate this thing at all. I mean, I couldn't find any. John 3.16 maybe, that's about it. And she would ask me a question. And I knew in my heart by faith. I knew in my heart by faith. And she would ask me a question, and I would just go here. I'd go like this. I'd go, okay, well, it says here in Lukey uh, chapter uh, 14, you know, and I had no idea. And I would just like go like this. Well, it says, and I just kind of open it, ah, you know, Bible roulette. And I was kind of like, well, it says right here. And I would answer her question, and it happened about four times. And every single time she asked me a question, I would just open it to a different place, you know, and go like, and it answered her question perfectly. Now, Am I saying that that's how you, that, well, that's all you got to do when you're witness, just kind of open your Bible and go like that. And that's what, our, that's what our pastor teaches us at Church at the Red Door, you know. We don't really have to go to classes. We just, uh, no, I'm not suggesting you do that at all. But at that moment in time, that was an act of faith for me. I could have fallen flat on my face. And I just somehow I believed and I knew. And it was, it was startling to me. I'll never forget it as long as I, in many circumstances, not, uh, as, not in that particular vein, but he would answer prayer and he would do things. And it was exceptional. It was extraordinary. But something happens when you're a crosser. You don't need that as much anymore. Now, I'm not saying we don't need the supernatural. I don't want to I'm not saying I don't want to see God, but I don't need all the fanfare. I have matured in Christ and I want all of us, and I say I personally, when you mature in Christ and you cross, you don't need the extraordinary and you don't need the exceptional like the manna. And, and as we'll read in Joshua 5, the, the moment they crossed the Jordan, the manna ceased. And then they began to take provisions from the land. There is a place at which your spiritual diet comes on the other side of the Jordan, and it's not just falling out of the sky. It comes from you moving into your calling. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says, I suppose this is true in, in that in every aspect of life that the older we get, the less we like the idea of change. And the more suspicious we become of it, the old home, the old ways, the old habits, the old friends, they are always the best and it is so hard to leave them. 
Let me tell you something, crossing the Jordan is really challenging. Well, we've done church this way the whole time. That's the only way we know how to do church, and this is the way we're going to do church, and this is what I do, and this is, this is how it is, and those are my friends. And, and now you start talking about something new, and people are like, whoa, 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 slow down there, big fella. This is how you do stuff. And, and, and he says this, but there comes a moment in the training of a child of God when the old ways have served God's purpose and have ceased to be a means of discipline to the child's growth in Christian warfare. Now, what is a crosser? Someone who crosses the Jordan is ready for warfare. First time to the church at the Red Door, and everybody's going, what? Let's leave. Let's get out of here as fast as we can. Spiritual warfare looks like this to uh, a person that doesn't even know Jesus. Wow, we love those people. Those people are so kind. They're so generous. They served us. They care for us. Uh, and that's all they see. They see in the physical realm, they see spiritual warfare. Now, what's going on behind the scenes is you're down on your knees. You're in prayer for them. You're strategically wanting to share Jesus with them. You, you, you risk your social status in their eyes by inviting them to come somewhere crazy like this, like the church at the Red Door, or go to a Bible study, or come to a women's breakfast, or a, a men's gig, or something like that. You risk that, and there's a lot of turmoil maybe going on, and, you, and yet you have a whole heart to see them come to know Jesus. That's what's going on in the spiritual realm. In the physical realm, there's no warfare that they're aware of. This is, Christian warfare is not against flesh and blood, as, well, as we've been learning for the last number of weeks. He goes on to say, every piece of the work he entrusts to you is but the means, now catch this, is but the means in his hands of causing you to grow into full conformity to the image of Jesus. What's the purpose of, of the crossing person? So that we can become more like Jesus. Therefore, God is always seeking to lead his children along to prepare them for change and to make them ready for new experiences of his grace and power. Take stock in your life, my friends, he says. Don't be dependent on emotional excitement, spiritual thrills, spectacular meetings. Some people always have to go to the new conference and the new this and the new that and something spectacular and smoke and lights and mirrors and everything else. And just they have to keep it up almost a, there's a certain place that was just coming together day after day after day, going to, going to the Word, going to the Word, going to the Word, fellowshipping. What did they do in Acts chapter 2? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then some of that's not that exciting. But as you just habitually, continuously go, all of a sudden you wake up and you say, I, I want different things than I used to want. I don't know why. The Word saves us. And he goes on. Lastly, he just says, leave the ABCs of the Christian faith and press on until God gives you the strength and power through feasting on the risen Christ and appoints you a warrior in the battle against evil. He said, uh, it's just kind of overdoing it, aren't you? I mean, come on. Well, for salvation, this has nothing to do with your salvation. Are, we follow are you following me? You're saved at the point you come out of Egypt, you believe into Jesus, and you go through your baptism in the Red Sea. That, you're saved at that point. But there's something deep that's going to stir in you, and you don't want to stay on the other side. You want to get through and cross and move into the fullness of what God's called you to do. So let's go now to Joshua chapter 5. On the other side of the Jordan. I don't know which side that is, but it's one of those sides. I don't know if we're looking north or south. I can tell you. If we're looking south, it's on that side. If we're looking north, it's on that side. So here we go. 
Verse 1, Joshua chapter 5. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, now catch this, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed. Now you know what happened. I'm not going to go and preach on this again. We did this a, a number back. They, they step in and the Jordan parts, just like the Red Sea. And they walk across on dry ground. Then they gathered some stones and they built a monument on the other side at Gilgal. Amazing story. It's a phenomenal. I did a whole teaching on memorial stones and how those are important in your life, etc. I won't do that again. But they crossed over. And here's the thing. Who heard about it? The people that they were called to go in and wipe out. The, Canaan, the Canaanites and Amorites and all these other ites in the land, you know. And they were there and go in and, and we already know it's exactly what's going to happen. Jericho is going to be t- shut up tight. The doors locked. The, the everything shut up completely. Shut up. And but what's fascinating is the next part of that. Their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Now let me t- let me just here. Here's our point this morning. Primary point this morning. Sa- satanic realm. The the that realm which is the cause of all darkness in the earth, okay? The fundamental cause as spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Well, I don't believe in that. I remember a conversation, by the way, with a Rice professor I had once. I don't believe in all this evil. I don't really believe in evil. And I'm like, really? I mean, sometimes you can argue yourself into such a bizarre point. There's no explanation of humanity's wickedness. I mean, if you say, we're just another animal, look at any other animal. They go by instinct, and if they're hungry, they eat, and if not, and occasionally they're... But the, the, the wickedness that the human race can come up with is extraordinary. If you don't think there's some kind of evil force behind that, it boggles my mind for you to even be able to continue to walk around on the earth. If I, if I just thought it was just, well, that's just the way humanity is, I'd just exit, man. I'd go way out in the middle of nowhere, and I'd live in a cave. But I couldn't run away from it all because most of it would also still be in my heart. You can run away from it, but until you get your heart circumcised, it's still going to be there. Now, what's fascinating, and here's the point, the satanic realm knows who the crossers are. Say that again. The satanic realm knows exactly who the crossers are. It's important for you to understand. Why? Well, how, do, how can you really support that? I want you to go to Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. It's an interesting story. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, stop before we go on. Let me just, can we, will you allow me to say that Paul was a crosser? The apostle Paul was a crosser. Now, if you don't give me that, then none of this is going to make sense. But if you say, okay, he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He, took the, he was the first to take the gospel around the Aegean and into most, most of us, not all, but are of Indo-European descent. He was the guy responsible for taking that original message there. He went all the way as far as Rome. He was shipwrecked, stoned, cast outside the city for dead, beaten up. I mean, the whole thing, all in the name of Jesus. Is it fair to say he was a crosser? Yes. Okay. If, if you give me that, then this is going to make a lot of sense. Okay. So now next verse, verse 12. It says, so that the handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out. So he had some authority over these evil spirits. Verse 13. 
It says, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. And here's what they were saying. Now catch this. I adjure you by Jesus, not that we know, but the guy that Paul's talking about. I mean, we don't know him, but come out by that guy, by that guy that Paul's talking about. That's what they're saying. Okay, next verse. He says, seven sons of one Sceva, a guy named Sceva, and he was a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And so what happened? Verse 15 says, and the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you guys? This is the evil spirit, okay? So, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, subdued all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of that house Naked and wounded. I mean, it's, it's, it's a comical story in some ways, and yet some ways terrifying, and some ways it's weird. It's certainly ironic. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And then verse 18, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. See, this led to something extraordinary, a little mini-revival, it says, and many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it to be about 50,000 pieces of silver. And then finally, verse 20, it says, and I love this, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. In other words, this. Now, you got to understand the word of the Lord at this point is not yet codified in the New Testament. We had the Old Testament or the Tanakh. That was certainly part of the Scriptures. But the word of the Lord, everything Jesus was teaching and taught and now being conveyed by the apostles was growing mightily and prevailing. Let me just tell you something. This grows mightily and prevails. The word of the Lord, it says, endures forever. We, however, are like grass flowers. We fade away. You want to put your life on something? Put it right here. I can tell you with all, I, every passion, every Every bone of my body, every, every cell, I'm telling you, if you will base your life on this, you will move into abundant life and you will be a crosser. Now, what's fascinating to me about that is that the Satan and this evil spirits, they knew exactly, they knew exactly who Jesus was. Was Jesus a crosser? Of course he did. He went to the wilderness. He was there for 40 days, not 40 years. He was tested. He crossed the Jordan. He walks into Nazareth. He begins to quote Isaiah 61. And said, he, this launched his ministry after crossing back over the Jordan. And I'm here to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. And what happened? And the satanic realm began to shudder. Their hearts melted. And we see that in other encounters that the demonic realm had with Jesus. Oh, just let us go. Just let us go into those pigs. You remember the story on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they knew exactly who Paul was. The satanic realm knows the crossers because they are a threat to their limited and short-term kingdom. See, when you begin to allow greed to slip out, and when you get to let all these idolatry begin to flow out of you, you let the Lord do the hard task of bringing you into the kingdom. Nobody's ever perfect, but when you really start to allow him to take all those things out of your life and you cross the Jordan, Satan's kingdom melts with fear. Say, so, well, just little old me melts with fear.
Now, when you, when you look at this whole template, and, you know, I have used this for years in ministry. I don't know how to, can I just tell, I don't know how to minister outside this template. When I say minister, I'm not talking about doing a memorial for somebody or going and having coffee and walking through somebody a marital crisis or something like that or applying biblical principles to a wound that needs some salve, right? I get that. I mean, I, it almost feels in some ways you, you do that long enough, you can do that in your sleep almost. I mean, yeah, of course. You just don't understand this and you give them, it's like Bible answer man, you know, well, just turn to this and come back over here and loving people and caring for people. That's important. That's a part of pastoral ministry. Pastors Randy and Pastor Paul and some of our other lay, like Richard Coheed, lay pastors. We have some extraordinary pastors here and women, by the way, amazing women. Like, you know, I won't go into all the lists, but Pam and Barbara doing this young believers class and all that, just amazing stuff that's going on. And many of you are pastorally inclined. But in terms of ministry on how I get somebody, when I say it's not me, it's the Lord, but when I try to say, okay, what happens after you say, I believe, and where does it, how does that person get from there all the way over here to crossing the Jordan and moving into the fullness of their calling, that is a long, arduous path. And if I didn't have this template in my head, I wouldn't even know what to do. I'd just like, well, try these biblical principles. or something. I just wouldn't. It's like there's no roadmap, and it's all right here. It's an amazing roadmap that will give you such profound insight. I hope many of you have come to me and said, you know, I've been doing ministry for a long time. I never really understood it like this. This is really, really helping me. I have used this for years. So there was a story a number of years back. I've had him here, Bob Baroulis, and uh, he, he had come and, and um, he came to one of the Bible studies, and it was almost, almost 20 years ago. And there was a Jewish guy, and, and I realized I'm telling the story of Bob, and I go, oh, my gosh, Bob's visiting us. And I, and I just called him out of the audience in the first service, and he's still here. So, Bob, why don't you come on up? I didn't even realize that, you know, he was coming up. Come on up, Bob Verrills. So, look, this is huge. This is, this is an example of something. Here's a guy who's now just one of my best friends of all time. And uh, I have a lot of best friends, but I mean, I got to tell you, people say, well, I thought I was his best friend. I, you're all my best friends. And, you know, I'm just telling you, I love you all so much. But this guy really is one of my best friends. So, so, so I said, Bob, Bob, I, he, he, he just comes, he shows up, this Bible study and this and that. And uh, he, he really decided to commit his life to Christ. And, uh, and then immediately he got, he got fired from his job. I go, well, that's welcome to the wilderness. And, uh, and so this guy, he's a PGA guy professionally. He was a, you know, teacher of the year in Montana and all this kind of stuff. Comes down here. He's got a nice job and this and that. And then he gets fired. And guess what happens? I said, now you're going to the wilderness. And he did. He went to PGA West. He's working outside service, cleaning people's clubs and picking the driving range. Now, most people just say, this Christian stuff is not working out for me at all. And I go, it's, no, Bob, it's working out exactly as it needs to work out. You're now in the wilderness. Now the Lord is going to weaken you. He's going to begin to transfer the desires that you used to have for this and give you new desires, et cetera, et cetera. And so he was here, and I just called and I said, Dan, Bob, so can you describe for us uh, this process? And then, and then I'm going to tell you the end of the story of where he is now 18 years later. Well, he talked about uh, Al Levinsky. He was this little Jewish guy at Bermuda Dunes Country Club, and Jeff was teaching a Bible study at Bermuda, at Bermuda Dunes, and he goes, hey, what are those guys doing up in the men's locker room on Wednesday? Are they a bunch of kooks? I go, well, no, I know a bunch of them. They seem like nice guys. They 
kind of invited me to come, but I felt kind of awkward. I worked there. Should I go into the men's locker room? And so with Al, I said, all right, Al, do you want to go? And he goes, well, I'll go if you go. I said, all right, I'm going to pick you up next week, and we're going to go. And so started coming to it and always asking Jeff questions. And about, I don't know, third or fourth week, I was, we're talking afterwards, and he goes, you know, I just got a feeling. Like, God's told me you're going to take over teaching this Bible study. Have you not seen? I know where Revelation is, and I know where Genesis is. I can't find anything else. And you're just spouting out verses, and you guys have been there, right? Like, he'll rattle off five verses. I'm still trying to find the first one, right? So um, through that, um, my relationship with Jeff just kept growing and growing. And, uh, and maybe like some of you, I was, kind of, I was just a pew sitter. Like, my wife was always making sure that we were going to church and that our kids were going to church. And I'd kind of help out maybe with the youth group, but I was just a pew sitter. I didn't know that there was like an other role that I was supposed to fulfill. And, and you know, really working with Jeff kind of helped me do that. And then through that, I connected with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which this year, uh, Debbie and I start our 10th year up in Montana. We literally about a week ago, I think it was right around, the, um, excuse me, Valentine's Day, that we moved up. We had a moving van and no vehicle and our dog. And we are moving back to Montana because we are doing a Bible study at Rancho La Quinta. Andy Stanley did about um, with uh, visioneering, visioneering mm -hmm. with uh, with Nehemiah, and I just felt like God was putting my in my heart. So when you're wondering, like He put on my heart, like you're supposed to go back home, go back to Montana, and you're supposed to rebuild the wall. I didn't know what the wall was. But the more we kind of gotten more and more involved with FCA, we'd hear, oh, yeah, we used to have FCA going at this school or that school. Or I knew a coach that led a huddle, but it wasn't there anymore. And so we got up there, and there was like six huddles going on. And here we are 10 years later. And through, I'm, it's so cool because my former boss and, and his wife, Val, are right here. So they, they were battling with me for 10 years up there in Montana. They lived in Portland. They've since moved down here. But that, that we've got, now we're almost, we're working toward 50 huddles. And we have over 500 kids a week, and we've got 100 coaches a week working in the Word. And we had uh, a couple of really cool things, and I'll give it back to Jeff, was at Montana State. So this is a culture that you're living in, folks. We had four football players that wanted to learn what it meant to be a man. They didn't know. The culture's not giving them that which then for us is obviously a great opportunity. And so if you looked at the map of Montana, the very, very corner of Montana, there's a little community called Scobie. And this is how funny God is. In the first service, I sat next to a lady. You know where she grew up? Glasgow, Montana, literally 20 miles away from Scobie. She actually, if anybody here in the congregation knew, actually knew where Scobie was because she lived in that area. So I thought that was, how funny is that? Um, but I had a coach there. For seven years, he's been trying to get a huddle started. And we would pray over it. I'd circle a Scobie on the map, and we'd just pray. And last week, he had his first huddle. He had 15 kids there. God called him out to leave Boise to go to Scobie. That's a huge switch, right? But we were just persistent in praying and allowing those things to happen. And so that's, part, you know, that's really part of my story is that growth and just trusting God. And he's always provided Jehovah Jireh, like he always provides for Debbie and I. There would be times like she goes, are you going to get paid this month? I go, I think so. Like it's not like, you know, because we're just like Val and, 
and Ron, we're, you know, we're self-funded, and so every month is trying to crack the nut, you know. So, but God has been faithful for us, and we're growing because we have influence and access to the public schools, and that's really what makes FCA so unique and which is a blessing for me. So, so I hated when they left. I mean, I hated it when they left. But he had to cross. And I would have loved for him to cross over Washington and just be on the other side of Jefferson or something, right? But, like I said, we got all of eternity to be together. But the time now is to equip, to prepare, and his crossing led him back to Montana. Now, I don't want, I'm not saying I want you to leave, but you got to understand our intent. Our intent is very clear. We want to equip you, call you, and I, I hope your service is here at Church of the Red Door. But wherever it is, we support, encourage, and go, now go bring heaven to earth. Isn't that an awesome story? And it started with the wilderness. Thank you. Now, here, here's the second part of this, and this is powerful. Now, catch this. Catch this. Verse 2. Strange. Strange, but powerful. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, <coughs> excuse me, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. Now, wait a minute. Okay, so here we come. Their hearts are melting. They're terrified. Word's gotten back to us. We can take them now, right? I mean, this is going to be unbelievable. Charge! Here we go, here we go, here we go. We got, we got two and a half, three million people. We're taking, yeah, I know, it's just Jericho. What are we going to do? Are we going to, let's get a committee. Are we going to climb ladders? Are we going to set the place on fire? Are we going to, you know, are we going to break the walls down? What are we going to, battering rams? What are we going to do here? Let's all have all of our great plans. Charge! And, and the Lord says, okay, you ready? Here we go. Here we go. Cross the Jordan. Oh, here, there we go. Here's a memorial stone. Wonderful. Okay, now let's go get them. Jericho stands in our way. What do we do? Circumcise. Circumcise. Ow, no. I mean, this weakens, 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 weakens. What are you talking about? We, now we're even open for attack. I mean, the men are trying to recover. They're, you know, got, you know, frozen peas. Whatever's happening there, I don't know what's going on. You know, it's just, all this stuff is just incredible. And I'm so, Lord, I'm sorry. So anyway, I, you get the point. And they're trying to recover. And then, and what is, what's happening here? Why? I mean, we've got them right where they want them. They're terrified. They're locked in. Let, let's take them. And the Lord has a very profound statement for them at that very moment. See, Paul had gone through this later as well because he had to go through the Exodus template just like we have to go through the Exodus template. He prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh would be taken from him. And God simply says, look, Paul, my power is perfected in your weakness. My power is not perfected because you're amazing have eight seminary degrees you know you know every verse in the bible you know blah 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 blah. those are all great things i am not criticizing a seminary degree i'm not criticizing your knowledge of the bible obviously i'm encouraging it but you need to understand that god's power works in our weakness power is perfected in weakness he told the church at corinth why? Because God had told him that power was perfected in weakness. Now, I could draw some things out. It goes ahead and says, well, why did they circumcise them? Because a lot of these children had not been circumcised. And you could kind of go down to a few, sometimes metaphors hold perfectly, and sometimes, I don't know. 
it, but it's like a picture of baptism again. But see, circumcision was also important because it was a picture of God circumcising our heart. Now, back then, they didn't have uh, all the medical ability we had. I guess, okay, let's show them a physically circumcised heart. All of you need to get physically circumcised your heart. Cut them open, open heart surgery. I mean, that wouldn't have worked very well. So what they did is that they did it in this way to give a symbol of a future spiritual reality. They gave them a physical reality. And I thought sometimes, couldn't you gotten something a little closer to the heart than that? I mean, does that, that doesn't make that much sense to me, Lord. And then as I began to pray, I started to think about this. I said, well, wait a minute. This makes exact sense. Why? Because in the physical realm, how do you transfer seed through that, okay? And so that's what is the transferal of seed. And how do you transfer seed in the kingdom? Well, this is the seed, Mark 4, Jesus said, and so went up to sow. And then he said, well, what does that mean? The word is the seed. So what does the word have to do? It has to fill our heart. How does it fill our heart? It can't be a dark heart. It's got to be a circumcised heart. God's got to give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, I'm going to put a new spirit within you and give you a new heart. Gives us a new heart. But rather than showing them in the physical circumcised hearts, they didn't have that ability, so they did it with the, that. But both of those are seed producers. So in the kingdom, what happens? Jesus said, if you'll believe in me, drink this living water, John 4, with a woman at the well, drink in this water and rivers of living water will flow out of you. And we know that the Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The question is the crossers' hearts are filled with the word of God. They don't say, well, this is my opinion, not in spiritual matters. It's fine to talk about politics or this or that and say, this is my opinion and whatever. That's fine. This is my opinion on the golf swing. This is my opinion on business. This is my opinion on fine. But I will tell you this, as it relates to spiritual matters, we are ambassadors of Christ, which means I am here for one purpose. That's to relate home countries information and home countries information alone. You're, as, as we've talked about before, an ambassador doesn't go and say, well, this is my opinion. Now you said this, I'm reflecting what has been told from me from my country. This is home country. This is what they have to say. It has to fill my heart. Now the seed is the word. It flows out of my heart as a crosser. And I go in to do spiritual warfare. And our battle is not against flesh. We know that. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're spiritual. It's the word. This is our word. It's our sword. It's everything. And so it flows out of our hearts. And guess what happens? Just like that, the seed comes flowing now and, and it starts to bear fruit. So here's the question. Do you want to bear fruit? I'm not asking you if you're saved. Please make the distinction. This is not are you saved or not. Do you want, as we looked at last week, to be fruitful? See, if you begin to have the desire that it's much higher desire than your business going well or you getting that promotion or whatever, all the things that we want. And there's nothing wrong with wanting we're human beings. God creates wants in us. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a want that surpasses that smaller want and it begins to dominate the way you think and now you're ready to cross. I just want to be fruitful in the kingdom. I know I'm saved. It's nothing to do with my salvation. I want to be fruitful. And the Lord says, okay, cross. And you cross. He said, okay, here we go again. Circumcise again a second time. Why? So that that seed will flow out of your heart and every word you go is going to be fruitful. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, 
some a hundredfold. Does the word of God abide in your heart? If it does, what is the purpose of the wilderness? So that the word of God can abide in your heart. First, we remove things from our heart. The Lord's doing the surgery. That's removing the idolatry. And then we replace it with the seed, which is the word. And now when we cross, we don't cross in with our idolatry. We cross in with this overflow of the spirit. And it's just like everything we say, things just start coming back to life. Why? Because we're such great people? No, because the word abides in our heart. That's the task. You want to know what the vision of the red door is? See people coming into Christ. Yes, baptized, absolutely filled with the Spirit, undeniably help them get through the wilderness and cross. Wherever that might take you. Wherever that might take you. Whatever road that might take you down. We'll have all of eternity to be together. All of eternity. So is this starting to make sense to you? I mean, I, look, it's so powerful when you get this. Weakness for strength? Welcome to the upside down kingdom. Really? Weakness? Yeah. Last thing I'll say is this. Why, why would God want us to be weak? So that he can be strong in us. Two things happen. Number one, when God's not glorified, that means man's glorified. And when man's glorified, two things happen that are bad. Number one, God's not glorified. <laughs> and number two, it's not good for men to be glorified. It's fine for men to reflect the glory of God. It's fine for, to give honor where honor is due. But when we worship people, I, for some reason, it's social media, everything, we just want to be worshipped because we feel so inferior. Our identities are so clogged with all this. I can't imagine what it's like to be a millennial or someone, even my kids. I can't imagine what it's like to be them in the culture in which we live. All the pressures now with social media and all these other things, the pressures must be overwhelming. They were hard when I was young, but I can't even imagine what it is now. If you don't have your identity firmly placed in Christ. So, see, the crosser, see, we want to be worshipped because we feel so low. When Christ comes in and finally helps us understand that we're part of his family, we relax, take a big sigh don't seek to be worshipped. Don't seek to glorify men. It's not good for men. It's not good for men. Last night, Laura and I were, my wife's always moving, going. She never sits down. She's always, you know, she just, you got to know my wife. But she just never, ever, she's always serving from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to sleep. She just, I've never seen her just lounging. What's your mother doing? She's just lounging. I mean, she just has to be doing something all the time. Somehow I got her to sit down for a very powerful and insightful and very spiritual uh, little documentary on Leonard Skinner. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and as I'm watching this and this Ronnie Van Zandt, and, and we, we watch these occasionally because it's so fascinating, just the, the biblical principles applying it. Most, most groups implode. They just do. They just can't take the glory. And there's probably not, sports is one of them, but also music. I mean, music was given us by God to, th to go back to him and reflect his glory. And then somehow when we make him not the center of it, and I'm not against secular music, I'm just saying somehow when we then take the glory to ourselves, which is what rock star status is, right? When we take the glory 
people implode all the time. And what's strange is occasionally you get the Rolling Stones and you get the U2 that lasts for a long time, but most of the places they implode. And almost all these stories, these rock star stories are fascinating because they start fighting against one another, they go crazy, they can't take worship. It's not good to glorify people. We glorify Jesus, collectively worship with him, and then we can start properly relating to one another. So don't take the glory unto yourself. So Jesus says, it's better in my kingdom if you're weak, then you're strong. If you're weak, then you're strong, because my glory can be in you. Is that powerful? So these are some things we learn. Next week, we actually get into the Battle of Jericho. Amazing lessons to learn.